You are listening to The Worlding Podcast, where we explore the relationship of how we are both, shaping and being shaped by our surroundings. The podcast traces interconnections by inviting each episode's guest to pass on the mic to someone who has influenced their world. And now, here's your host, dance artist Renee Schadler. Welcome to the Welding Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. It means a lot to me that you're here and as interested to learn about the worlds and thoughts of these exciting artists and thinkers as I am. Today I'm joined by Christina Gruber, who is a visual artist and freshwater ecologist based in Vienna and working along the Danube River. Thanks so much for chatting with us today, Christina. Hi, Renee. Thanks. Thank you very much for the lovely in invitation. My pleasure. You were recommended by sound artist Samuel Hertz, who we spoke with in the last episode about complexity theory and different ways of listening. Today, we will continue that conversation, focusing especially on the use of technology and how that can help us tune in to our companion species and environments, as well as your stewardship work with the sturgeons, which are a rare species of fish. You showed me a picture in our previous exchange and I think they are so adorable. So maybe you could share with listeners what a sturgeon is and how you're working with them at the moment. Sure. Yeah, I think it's really important actually to also spread the news and knowledge about sturgeon. So it's a, actually he's way older than we are. He's um, an, a living fossil, so to say, and he inhabits the world or our planet already for more than 200 million years. So it's a freshwater species, but he also occurs in the sea, which is quite important also for his way of life and because he's a long distance migrator. It's also one of the biggest fish species occurring in freshwater. So actually he's really more like a shark you can imagine. Maybe also it's good to, because I think before I started to work at the sturgeon hatchery, I also did not know what a sturgeon looks like. So I will try to explain this a bit. It's like, his, it's really like, uh, looks more like a warrior of the river because he has still bony skewed. So he has like this little armor on five sides that also makes him a five edged actually animal. And he's really defending himself with this bony skewed that help him, especially when he's small to To, help, to provide him from being fed by other bigger animals who are already in the water, but also birds, for instance. What is important also about the sturgeon, he can grow really long, like tall and heavy. Some species grow up to five meters and around two tons they can weigh. So it's really heavy things floating into the, in our rivers and seas. And at the moment, the biggest problem for this super old species is basically us human beings. So they're on this earth for so long already, but now in the last 150 years, we managed to actually bring them to the brink of extinction. So the special sturgeon I'm working with is called the stalet is one of the smallest sturgeon species appearing in the Danube River that is also flowing through the city of Vienna where I'm currently working. 
and we there was only a very tiny population left around 200 specimen and we really wanted to keep this precious um yeah precious collaborator and our fellow alive so this is also how our project started and the project is called Life Stellet and it's really aiming to strengthen the wild population of the sturgeon. Are there still five meter sturgeons <laughs> existing in the Danube? I know I've seen pictures of um, the sturgeon that you're working with and this is, as you mentioned, quite tiny. Um, <laughs> but this five meter version, it feels really like a dinosaur <laughs> floating through the Danube. Do they reach that that large at the moment? They do, but the last catch that was somewhere in the Caspian Sea, so it's more in Russia that this big sturgeon still um, still appear. And this is mainly the beluga sturgeon. And the beluga you might all know because he also brings the caviar or delivers the caviar. And this is also one of the main problems why the numbers are now so small. It's really like overfishing and illegal fishing on this precious fish that made them really grow small in numbers. Yeah, but they still can get this huge size. And especially the beluga, he lives up to 100 years. And maybe this also the, it's also important to, me to mention, they mature quite late, almost like a human. They need around 12 years that they can spawn their eggs for the first time. And this means if they're caught early to get the caviar out of them, a whole generation is lost. So it really needs also legislations that protect this species. It's amazing. It's something that I haven't really come in contact with before. And um, before coming across your work, actually wasn't even aware of the sturgeons. So it's amazing that such a prehistoric species has been so under wraps, so to say, um, from our awareness, actually. Yeah, this, this is totally true. It seems like he kind of got a bit lost in the muddy waters or we got out of touch. Because if you, it's quite interesting in the, especially in Austrian history and in culture along large rivers, sturgeons appear all over the place. So I even have the theory that all the dragon stories, they're actually sturgeon sightings. So he was quite important and I think it's just about giving him this importance again. Mm. You have quite a strong companionship with the sturgeon and you also have an artistic practice as a visual artist, working especially with sound. And I wanted to dive a little bit into your collaboration with Samuel Hertz and work on technology because we were chatting a lot with Sam about complexity theory and different ways of listening that could attune us to this way of worlding, of shaping and being shaped by our environment and how we could really understand the human position as being quite enmeshed in something larger than ourselves. How do you go about that when you're working with the sturgeons? Yeah, I think the worlding is quite an important point yeah, term in this sense, also in, in my work at the moment specifically, but in, in general, like it's looking at this living fossil, like a di almost a dinosaur creature, the sturgeon, it made me also realize how much this we all are shaped 
by the world and, and like everything how the sturgeon uh, what the sturgeon looks like it is really closely related to where he grew up where he's living where his habitats are so it's, he's perfected in living in the sea for when he grows bigger but when he's a tiny larvae he really needs the river so it's like he needs this complexity and diversity to also strive and um, i think it's very similar to humans if we are if, if you have like an almost like an open border policy or i don't know if you can roam around it also opens your mindset and this is very much the same for fish at the moment and they are really threatened because all the rivers are controlled at the moment and so this taming of the river made it more easy to calculate it for us humans but made it almost unlivable for all other aquatic species and i think this is also where my artistic practice wants to i don't know tap in and there was one especially in the collaboration with sam and zugzwang it's about this is like we're in the moment where we, I think we need to act and how, how can we act? So maybe already the first possible measure could be just to listen to all these mighty sturgeons again, to, to change our attitude towards rivers, towards fresh water, because often it's just a thing that runs through the city, but mainly don't even want to put our toes inside because it contains all our sewage as well. So it's, I think it was threat, uh, treated for the last centuries quite badly. As I work closely with the sturgeon, because I need to feed them every day, clean their tanks, try to, uh, yeah, try to make them living beings that we can also release back in the river because of us humans who destroyed their possibility at the moment to repopulate themselves. It really is also how, how could I, yeah, maybe get in contact to them. And one of the ways was looking into underwater recordings by hydrophones and how, what I can get out of this, uh, out of the river, basically, but also like, what are the sounds they hear? Maybe it's like uh, almost a motherly feeling because I'm mainly tending them, but actually I'm always in another world. It's where do our worlds meet or cross. And this is only possible by stepping into the river. And the least invasive form is, I think, by sound recordings. Mm, these sound, sound recordings then also we used for Zugzwang where we wanted to make this sonic impression of a river that comes out of, like almost jumps out of the water. So for the first time, you can hear what the river sounds like. In our case, it was mainly recordings of land erosion that happened in the Danube, but also especially happened in many other rivers, like in the Mississippi and the Gulf of Mexico. And there's a lot of science and technology used to gain more detail and more knowledge about it because we actually found out those are quite important habitats to keep. Yeah. Mm. I think it's interesting also that from the perspective 
of the human, developing closeness with the sturgeon and other species within the river. Also, as part of that process, acknowledging that we hear differently, actually, and needing these technological devices or different methods to gain closeness while also accepting that there's always a difference there, you know? Like, Mm. I have no idea how a sturgeon hears and how a sturgeon sees or even moves, like coming to welding from a choreographic perspective and working a lot with my body. I'm also imagining these bones you mentioned or physical entry points. I think using sound is one layer of many that can actually be very humbling also to acknowledge this uh, difference and a coming together that can be more with rather than caring for, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think it's really important to get over the we need to care for and come to terms with, to care with all our species, but they don't even need to be species, everything alive and non-alive. I think this interchange, we have to accept it. That is like also every day, so many species, so many things care for us, starting in our biome, in our guts. It's like if this is this co-working is not active, I think everything falls apart. And first of us, it's our own bodies. And overcoming this, yeah, maybe also this borders by our bodies that we are very, we are actually very in exchange all the time that also became it can be done by technology. And that's why I think what I was really fascinated by when I found out there is so many scientists at the moment out there using bioacoustics and especially to find out more about um, freshwater. It was, they really like want to explore what we actually could not. And it's also the the adva- yeah, it's a bit the advancement of technology also that it's possible. So you could make recordings for the first time now. It's only some years ago for 24 hours, seven days a week. So you really get more an, an, an insight into something that was completely inaccessible. But this is a, it's a very dangerous thing also on the other hand, because we actually don't really know how much we're tapping in and it's a bit also a spy attitude, but I think we need also at the moment this a bit spying on on the other in, in a sense to get, yeah, to also build relations again. And this is then really by finding out how much, for instance, the sturgeons do for us, then it's really a caring with. Mm. And a welding practice, I think, if we go into this shaping and being shaped, like I would be curious also through your work with the sturgeons, how they've changed your behaviors, not only with your relation to the Danube, but how that's affected perhaps your companionship with other humans or the way you go about your daily life. I think it did quite a lot yeah, I think it's mostly to the much slower also rhythm that the sturgeon is living his life. It also made me a bit less hyperactive, which is, I think, quite good. And it also makes me realize by just following, like, I, I liked when you mentioned the approach about it's, it's very, li- the, the sturgeons 
ways of moving along is very much like a dance performance, actually, but a very slow one. So it's really like to how can you tune it down to the minimum, but still get a lot out of it. So he's really a, the sturgeons are really like this observers of the river. So they stand in the deep uh, on the bottom of the river and they really wait actually for the things to pass by them. I think it's a super important strategy, maybe also to grasp um, our daily lives. It's more like, okay, maybe I just need to sit there and observe for a little longer. And then I also see, um, even though it's a very local view I have at the moment, it's a very detailed one that can help me in changing also decisions. I think that's so poignant for now as well, when we're in COVID in the midst of different forms of lockdown or home office, I can imagine listeners channeling their imagination and uh, connecting with sturgeons in the Danube to try and understand, yeah, this moment. I think it's very timely, actually. Yeah, it totally is. <laughs> and I think especially like last year, I was hanging out a lot with the sturgeons. And so I think they truly became my companions because there was no restrictions, how close we can get or how many meters we have to be apart actually from each other. So that was very soothing as well for me. So there I really realized how much work and caring they do actually for me. Mm, that's beautiful, like going kind of beyond the obvious in a way, because I think it's very easy to see um, these projects, especially in terms of extinction and um, repopulation as being quite methodical. But then how also do you tune into these more nuanced ways of going about these practices and seeing them as welding practices rather than from a zoological perspective or purely from a science perspective. And I think that's really beautiful how you're coupling your artistic practice and your sound work with ways of developing closeness. Um, yeah, I can imagine it's very, very layered also as you move between different parts of your work in the scientific world or the university or your arts practice. Do you find yourself changing, I guess, the vernacular around how you explain things in different contexts? Mm, I think that was a big question for me for many years, but at the moment it kind of evened out, which I don't want. It's like, almost putting on different shoes for every different occasion. But I think it's really about also getting, finding the crossings and the junctions and, and for like forcing or putting an enforcement on them is, I think so often, especially in science, really important things get lost because they are not communicated enough. And Often, especially like if it's about like this sensual approach and also it's a, a very personal thing we are doing, even though it's, it's a scientific project in the end, it's very about this exchange we, um, we are, we're looking for. And this is also an important part of the whole project, even though all the science turns out right, all the 
fish go back into the Danube and it might work out, if no one knows about it, it still will not work out because we need people to change their perspectives on rivers so that we can really also make those habitats livable again. And I think there is super important to to come, yeah, to get over this usual uh, borders and uh, especially, I, I don't know, I'm really fed up with all these disciplines and it's, they, I think they're out, out of date. Totally. This um, weaving of different disciplines, I think you're really achieving in the way you're um, piecing together your days. And um, yeah, I really admire that for sure. It made me think when you were talking about the species being repopulated and entering into the Danube as a livable habitat. I just wanted to continue a little bit on that for listeners, that that isn't about going back to the way it was before. It's also, I think, in the work you're doing, from what I understand, it's very much about moving forward from where we are and uh, embracing where we are now, because I don't believe the Danube will ever actually go back to how it was before. So maybe you could speak a little bit um, on that idea of future and what that could look like with the sturgeons and the technology. <laughs> yeah, th this is very true. I think it's also so important that all these often restoration projects, um, um, they take um, the past as an example, but it's it will never go back. This is impossible. And if, but I think it's also a good thing. It's not going back. It's like we are now here in this moment, and then we have to move on. I think a river shows this really well because it's always always in the flow, and but still by being very diverse, it becomes this super powerful entity as well and especially for the sturgeons i would say that even though the repopulation works out we don't know at the moment it will be it works only for one species the like not species even just one kind of the sturgeons the stalet because all the other sturgeons, they cannot come back to Austria, for instance, because there's all these obstacles in the river. So before we can even achieve this, like a bigger picture needs to change. For this specific reason, it would be, there need to be some passes that enable the fish again to migrate. So at the moment, there's really a lot of work that needs to be done that we all embrace also that all the people living on the same river, even though there's countries, borders in between, they need to work on this together. And there's a lot of this transnational um, projects as well, and they're really important, but it's really just on the, on the beginning. This is why the sturgeon is also quite a good example. It's like, almost like a role model. It's like looking at the healthy sturgeon population could also mean really good things for the river, or they definitely do. It's like if a Sturgeon can survive, it means that the river is in quite a good status because he's connected again. Like in river science, we talk a lot about connectivity that is not only going from the so like from the source to where it leads into the sea, but also it's like all these connections that go 
on on the letter like on lateral sides it's like all the flood plains then it's all the tributaries it's like a huge spectrum so this i think is really great because we start always looking in a very small spot but then it goes like woof you need to look at all this as well this is kind of overwhelming but also really helps in shaping your your actions i think in and in realizing that by helping this one little fish, now it's small, but might get bigger, it helps so many other things. So it's like a, almost a chain reaction. Mm. Absolutely. I love it. It made me think also about our conversation with Sam uh, in the previous episode and complexity theory and how, you know, as soon as you <laughs> begin looking at the water in a plastic bottle, you start seeing rainfall, you start seeing rivers, you start seeing evaporation. It's like, um, yeah, a really nice stacking, stacking of things or layering of things that, um, is very dense, but also very beautiful. So thank you for telling us about the sturgeons. And I hope everybody listening makes their way to Google and different technological tools to find out about <laughs> the sturgeon. I wonder, Christina, if there's a way that we could experience some of your research. It's something we've been uh, continuing through the podcast is trying to find, um, yeah, experience, knowledge in the body. Is there a way that you could share with us a little bit about a sturgeon or how we could relate from where we are now. I mentioned before in like how a sturgeon looks like, but then I said like a shark. And I think almost no, nobody of us ever touched a shark, but the bit how we can get attuned to the sturgeon and also all his, actually the legacy and his really old age is by where, wherever you are, maybe it's possible for you to find a stone, I don't know, some little uh, pebble that is on, if you're walking around on the street, but uh, I have, for instance, have a lot of stones in my flat because I love to collect them. Mainly these stones are already shaped by water and were shaped by water for thousands of years. So I would uh, invite you to grab a stone. This can happen now or later, but maybe then you, you go back to now that you can follow my little instructions. Take the stone into your hand. Let it be on the palm of your hand. Take the other hand to really touch all the sides of the stone to get a bit the structure. It's quite hard, no? And this is almost the same structure, or it's basically the same, like the scutes, the bony scales of the sturgeon, which is his armor, and might be the same age as the sturgeons I hopefully work with soon and also can find in the river. But it's really like this stone has seen so much, and I think this often when I also think of the sturgeon and this very, yeah, it feels a bit cold. Sturgeons are wet most of the time and the Danube water is quite cold most of the time. So this is very similar. 
And you can really feel that he is actually quite resistant. And if you are a bird with your beak, it will not go through this. So he is quite strong. He just needs a bit more support. Yeah, I think that's that would be it for the the approaching of a sturgeon as much as we can do now. But I, uh, yeah, I hope you find sturgeons in your rivers too. Yeah, I love that you can't um, break through the scales with a beak, because I know there are a lot of uh, birds that eat d different sized fishes. Is that true that you can't actually eat a sturgeon? Or like break through the the scales if you're a bird. Mm, yeah, they can they can hit them, but they are quite protected because there's also little um, pieces of their bodies that are without this bony scales, and they're they're actually quite fragile. But most of the time, they have the bones on the right spot. So yeah, and often we find sturgeons that have some. Marking, so you see that they were attacked by birds, but they were not successful. Yeah. Wow, there's so much to learn from these small creatures and also from a stone, actually. I, I'm fortunate to have a stone near me right now, so I was able to follow your beautiful proposition. <laughs> and even not, I think it is possible still for listeners to imagine the stone. Also, this cold feeling is so, so strong. And I often think about fish as being cold actually and I don't I don't touch so many fish from rivers but um <laughs> yeah it's very tactile so so thank you for sharing the impression and continuing with the Worlding podcast we're asking speakers to pass on uh, the microphone to someone who's influenced their work and as a way of also looking at what stories tell stories and how things are interconnected. So is there somebody that you would like us to connect with for the next episode? Mm, yes, there is. Um, I would really like to connect for the next episode, Julia Grillmeier. She's a cultural studies scholar and we worked together actually for quite some time already, especially because we share some um, fields of interest, like everything that is related to water, muddy alliances, and especially the wetlands in the Danube are of, yeah, of our interest to us. But also the ways on how we both love dinosaurs, ancient stuff, but also speculative fiction. Mm, beautiful. I can already feel the muddiness connecting quite well with the stones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> going to connect with my inner child and play in the mud. Thank you so much for chatting with us today, Christina, and sharing your research on sturgeons and also listening with different technological devices. Uh, really beautiful work and all the best with your research. Thank you so much, Renee. It was a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> Ciao. Ciao. Thank you for listening to The Worlding Podcast. Gefördert durch die Beauftragte der Bundesregierung für Kultur und Medien im Programm Neustart Kultur. Hilfsprogramm des Tanzen des Dachverband Tanz Deutschland.